This week's episode of the Art Tactic Podcast is sponsored by the Sotheby's Institute of Art. With campuses in London, New York, Los Angeles, and online, Sotheby's Institute is the global leader in art business education. Offering master's programs, 15-week intensive courses, summer study, continuing in executive education, and online courses. I'm actually an alumni of Sotheby's Institute. I did the art business master's program in London. Find out more about the Sotheby's Institute of Art at sotheby'sinstitute.com. This week's episode is also brought to you by Artbase. Did you know that Artbase is the best love software in the art world? Artbase offers products that do everything you need to run your art business. Track your art and your contacts and cross-reference them. Make invoices, generate consignments, run all kinds of reports. Even use it on your iPad or iPhone at art fairs or while you're away. Take it from the thousands of happy Artbase clients all over the world. Artbase is the right software for your art business. Visit artbase.com to find out more. Thanks for listening to the Art Tactic Podcast. I'm Adam Green. It's late in the evening here in New York, but it's tomorrow afternoon already in Beijing, where Meg Maggio is joining us, founder of Peiken Fine Art, a contemporary art gallery based in Beijing and Hong Kong. Meg, how have you been? Very well, thank you. It's great to talk to um, your audience. I know <coughs> your audience is not only the United States, but worldwide, so it's very nice to sort of make the connection. Yeah, it's great having you back. There's a lot of uncertainty as a result of the weaker Chinese economy and really low oil prices, and there's plenty of discussion, it seems, nowadays around the world about how that may impact the broader economy and the stock market, but not too many seem to really be talking about how it may impact the art market. You have a great perspective on this since you're there in China. So I wanted to ask, to what extent has the economy there and the really volatile stock market in China impacted the art market there? And can you give us a sense as to how much concern there is about the Chinese art market in the near future because of this? The Chinese art market and the so-called Chinese weaker economy, I think, are much uh, the the danger to the Chinese economy and to the Chinese art market is much overblown in the Western media. Granted, the Chinese manufacturing sector has slowed has slowed down. Granted, meaning Chinese exports have slowed down, and China uh, its economy is is generally not as weakened as the Western media perception would have us believe. Yes, it has slowed down, but this is a bullet train slowing down to sort of normal train speed. Uh, and I would still say that it's good. If we, we want to use the train analogy, it goes faster than Amtrak. <laughs> you know, the economy here is not that... It, we, we can't be sort of blinded by the volatility of the stock market, the volatility of the stock market is not equivalent to the volatility of the Chinese economy. There is still an extremely robust domestic consumer economy where the West, especially Europe and the United States, seem to be moving away from a sort of sociological point of view, moving away from hyper-consumerism. China is still very much a consumer, domestic consumer-driven economy. It's already made the shift over, you know, over 10 years ago away from an economy uh, overly dependent on export commodities, and it's already made a very healthy shift to an economy mainly dependent on its own robust domestic consumer economy. So 
for me, the Chinese economy slowing down is actually a healthy and a rational move rather than a negative move. You know, you mentioned how things are kind of overblown in the Western media about what's going on in China. So is everything okay and, uh, you know, from your gallery's business perspective? And I guess when you talk to other people in the art world there, um, everything still feels relatively calm? Well, I think that the art world here, if galleries were over-dependent on foreign buyers, they may be suffering because there's been a great shift in the Chinese art market and the majority of our buyers are Chinese uh, domestic mainland or ethnic Chinese from around the world and Asian. I think there's been a great shift to localization and we have much more, many more local clients and local audiences than we've ever had before. The days of having to depend on a few expat buyers are happily long over. Also, with this incredible growth of domestic museums, both in the state sector and the private sector, there's a lot of platforms in China that need to be fed with contemporary art. Most of those platforms want uh, art that they're familiar with. Yes, there'll be, there's going to be a major Giacometti exhibition in China in March. Actually, it will be the largest Giacometti exhibition ever in a museum in Asia, not only in China, and that will open in Shanghai in March, and that's in cooperation with the French government and in partnership with the French government and a private museum, the Long Museum in in, I'm sorry, not the Long Museum, the uh, Booty Text Museum, the Yuse Museum in Shanghai. So that uh, that's very exciting that we're getting sort of these world-class exhibitions now traveling through China, as well as a higher quality uh, curatorial programming of domestic exhibitions. So from my point of view, the, 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 the new growth of museums in China it also has brought on a new growth in galleries in China, and the market is still very much maturing. It's very much a, a new market with a, with a lot of potential to mature and develop over the next few years. It, it's really funny, actually, looking back on this next question I have for you. Uh, I, I recall in... 2006, 2007, when China, the art market there in China really took off and people, the only concern I remember people talking about is speculation and how you'd have artists come to auction and they'd make such great prices. And then kind of coming full circle, now over the past few years in the US and the European art market, we've seen a plethora of young emerging artists who head to auction really earlier in their careers and they see their auction prices rise dramatically, then the prices come crashing down shortly afterwards, unfortunately, for the artists. Uh, this movement's been called zombie formalism, where these artists kind of paint in similar fashion in terms of the aesthetic. Um, I'm wondering, has there been a similar phenomenon like that at all in China with younger artists, or are younger artists developing and going through the educational system, the gallery system? Is that a healthier environment there at the moment? I think it's much healthier now. I think it's a much more mature and healthy environment. The auction houses, I mean, let's be honest, the auction houses worldwide are definitely on a downturn. And I personally think that the days of the auction houses uh, dominating the art market are happily behind us. And 
In China, younger artists were going to auctions simply because of the void in museum infrastructure here. So a young artist looking for critical acceptance in the infrastructure did not have the opportunity to exhibit at museums that he might have had in other countries. Now with the rapid increase in museum growth across the country, so every major provincial capital is now building new museums, the artists, the young generation of artists have much more museum exhibition opportunity opportunities. So they're not... Uh, they don't look on the auction houses anymore as a, sort of a place, the, the only option for sort of art critical uh, recognition. So I, I, I really believe that the museum growth in China is, is just what is going to spur a more mature market here. And the, uh, as the museums grow, the auctions will take a back seat to the museum and gallery world, and even the art fair world. The, I, I think the, the people that in the marketplace that are having a, the toughest time at the moment are really the auction houses. A lot is written, of course, about the Chinese art market, but uh, you know there isn't often much discussion about what the difference is between Hong Kong and mainland China. You have a gallery in both Beijing and Hong Kong. Especially for yeah. our listeners who maybe haven't visited China or have only been to one, not the other, what would you say are some of the biggest differences between operating an art gallery in Hong Kong versus mainland China like Beijing? Well, Beijing, I, I, I often compare to Berlin. It's a city, Beijing is the talent pool. It's the city with the largest concentration of artists living here, of any city in Asia. There's hundreds, if not thousands, of artists living in and around Beijing. Uh, traditionally, Beijing has been the, cult, the center of Chinese culture. Uh, more recently, it's been uh, the place where artists can live together and congregate and share ideas, and this is partly due to the concentration of universities in Beijing, and as well as the concentration of sort of cultural centers, meaning this is still essentially a controlled economy, and the Ministry of Culture, which has in the past set a lot of top-down cultural policies in Beijing, a lot of the decision-makers in the cultural field in China are based in Beijing. <coughs> And over the last 20 years, artists have flocked to live in Beijing, not only for national opportunities, opportunities around the country set by the essentially controlled cultural policy infrastructure, but also looking to Beijing as a portal for uh, international recognition, not only uh, it, meaning also that you had galleries in Beijing and you had artists in Beijing from all over Asia. So it was really thought that Beijing was the place where artists could dialogue with other artists and live comfortably. Recently, Beijing, over the last few years, has gotten more expensive and there's been more economic growth in the provinces and artists have opted to go home to their province or go abroad or go to other cities uh, regionally in Asia. So that's shifting a little, but Beijing is still really considered the center of the art world. Hong Kong has a different function. Hong Kong really is a, is a great spot to cover the south of China in Southeast Asia, in Taiwan, and Singapore. Hong Kong is a wonderful uh, center for the south of China. And the country is too big, and 
you can't expect to cover the whole country from one spot. It's sort of like, you know, people opening a gallery in New York and then also opening a gallery in LA. Well, of course, because they can't expect to sort of have their finger on the pulse of LA from New York. So Hong Kong is a little bit like that New York LA dichotomy in the United States. Hong Kong has been uh traditionally and, and up till today effectively a duty-free port in Asia, meaning it has the lowest tax infrastructure, it has the lowest um, uh, operating operating tax system, whether you're talking about capital gains, which is non-existent in Hong Kong, income tax levels of 17%, no import and export duties. Hong Kong, there's, there's no other city in Asia that can beat Hong Kong for, for tax-free status. And that makes Hong Kong extremely uh, efficient. Now, in Hong Kong, also, there's a couple issues at play. One is this notion of an art hub versus an art center. Art hub sort of implies, and the government that sets sort of cultural policy in Hong Kong is very sensitive to this. Art hub sort of uh, implies a logistics center, a place where logistics are convenient. Art center is what Hong Kong aspires to and hopes to become in the in the near future. An art center is a place that breeds talent and where there's a wonderful indigenous local artistic community and it's a place that people flock to for its rich cultural life, not only its logistic convenience. So that is what Hong Kong, you know, the government that sets policy is openly aspired to. Uh, and I, I do think that Hong Kong affords us a platform and a way to look at the southern part of China that is just not possible from Beijing. And remembering that these cities are three hours apart, they're sort of equidistant to New York and Miami. It's interesting. It seemed there were a lot of U.S. and European galleries who opened up spaces in Hong Kong maybe five, six, seven years ago. Then it felt like maybe that slowed down a bit. But now I just read David Zwerner seeking to open a gallery there, so maybe it's picking back up. And it's interesting, when we spoke with you a few years ago on the podcast, we asked what advice you'd give galleries who are considering open up, opening up a space in China and trying to sell art to Chinese collectors. And now that you've seen a lot of galleries open up spaces, what's your perspective on what methods they did use to try to sell their artists to Chinese collectors, and to what extent do you think it's worked? Um, well, it, it's sort of exciting this year because Massimo Di Carlo, a real powerhouse gallery from Milano, is opening in Hong Kong in March. Mia Art Foundation, a Korean-Chinese, very strong gallery from Beijing, is also opening in Hong Kong. And it looks like David Zwerner, or at least his PR machine, wants us to know that he's interested in opening in Hong Kong. And and so I do think there's continued growth in Hong Kong and continued the I'm I'm also I wear another hat, I'm the chairperson on the board of directors of the Hong Kong Art Gallery Association, which is a newly formed nonprofit sort of chamber of commerce for the art galleries of Hong Kong with Hong Kong government support and government subsidies of our our little uh, you know, gallery association. We've already got almost 60 members and those numbers are growing of you know art, Hong Kong art galleries not only local but also foreign so we see the the trend very much to be one of further growth in Hong Kong 
that's very exciting, and I think people are initially attracted to the duty-free status of Hong Kong, as well as the strong presence of the Art Basel Fair and new art fairs that are sort of uh, subsidiary fairs that are that are popping up around the Art Basel Fair. Rumors of Art Basel bringing its design fair to Hong Kong. Rumors of Philips Auction House opening in Hong Kong. Uh, Bonhams opened a big office in Hong Kong last year. Christie's and Sotheby's are well established. The Chinese powerhouse auction houses, Pauli and Guardian, are both in Hong Kong. The Taiwanese auction house, Ravenel, is in Hong Kong. Korean auction houses, Japanese, (laughs) Southeast Asian, they're all in Hong Kong. So everyone sort of recognizes the, the sort of a the duty-free status of doing business in Hong Kong. They don't call it duty-free, but effectively it is. It's the lowest tax base of any major city in Asia. So I think everyone recognizes this. At the same time, they complain about the high cost of real estate, but the carry costs are much less given these uh, low tax basis. So I think that makes it attractive. I think opening in Hong Kong is equivalent to sort of a startup scenario. And people, there's a lot of trial and error with all startup situations. And I think it isn't never easy to manage a business long distance. So when the principles are not based at the same, at the, you know, when the principles are based in their headquarters and they have to set up businesses overseas, I know how difficult it is even for myself to own and operate a gallery in Beijing and in a branch in Hong Kong. I spend a week a month in the Hong Kong gallery, but it's not the same as being there full time. So you have to build a team and set up an effective team to run your operations when you, in your absence. That is difficult in a, a sort of greenfield environment where people don't have the prior experience managing art galleries and sort of curating and operating an art gallery. I think that the learning curve is very fast in Hong Kong and people learn very quickly. There's been a lot of, I'm happy not in my organization, but in many of the galleries there's been a high turnover rate. And I think this is partly due to just sort of cultural miscommunication and long-distance management or lack thereof. And it takes time to really establish these galleries. And I hope that anyone who's opening a gallery in Hong Kong has a five- to ten-year plan because I think that's sort of the realistic uh, time frame it's going to take to really build the business. I think a lot of our listeners are familiar with the political pop and cynical realism, Chinese artists and their styles – But what are some of the interesting artistic trends you've seen from contemporary Chinese artists over the past couple of years that are really gaining attention in the Chinese art world? I think there's a a growing interest in multimedia and and new technology and video art and incorporating all of these things into a more mixed media art practice that the Chinese artists are extremely open to uh, to trying new media they don't they no longer feel that the only way to be an artist is to make an oil painting <laughs> mm-hmm. thankfully thankfully those days are past so i think the art schools are training people in you know if you look across china most of the top sort of elite art universities they've set up these multimedia departments 
and the multimedia departments are teaching everything from video making to animation to filmmaking to 3D, you know, photography. They're teaching a wide variety variety of medium. And that's very exciting. I think that Chinese artists, uh, the, the two big trends is one, a move towards uh, new media, and the other, you know, which is sort of paradoxically, is a move back towards paper and back towards uh, the traditional ink and, pa- and rice paper medium. And what I mean is not a sort of a, you know, neoconservative uh, retrograde movement, but instead a uh, a very deep and meaningful question of how can one reinvent the tradition and how can we bring the tradition of ink painting, the Chinese ink painting tradition, into the 21st century in a way that's meaningful to younger audiences. And tell us a little bit about what exhibition or exhibitions you have at the galleries now. Um, Well, we have some... We have a very fun exhibition right now, which has got a lot of attention uh, from the media, which is called 3D PRK. And it's surprisingly, well, not surprisingly, but I think Beijing is a very cosmopolitan city, and we've got a lot of artists living here from all over the world. And the artist that we represent is Maciej Tansik, and he is a Slovenian artist from Ljubljana who's living in Beijing. And he's done a wonderful project called 3D PRK, which is he spent several weeks in North Korea, and he had sort of rare access to ordinary people in North Korea. And he came back with a fantastic uh, 3D photography project of portraits of ordinary North Koreans in their daily lives, sort of less stiff, less official, less cliche, and more human portraits of the face of North Koreans. And a documentary film to accompany that project. North Korea apparently has this sort of tradition of 3D photographs, I mean 3D postcards. And he was very attracted to this medium as a photographer. He was willing to experiment and and sort of teach himself how to do really great 3D photography. And the entire we the entire exhibition requires 3D glasses, which we give to all the visitors, and the the effect of looking at these photographs in 3D is is very immersive people feel sort of a immersed in day-to-day north korean life and there aren't many opportunities to to sort of experience that uh, that closeness to north korea anywhere in the world so the exhibition's been very popular wow that sounds really interesting for our listeners who can't make it to china and see it in person uh, what's the website for your gallery? Maybe they can log on and uh, learn more about that exhibition. Sure. The, uh, the website is pekinfinearts.com, P-E-K-I-N-F-I-N-E-A-R-T-S.com. And the, three, the 3D PRK project may be going to the Houston Photo Festival this year, and we hope there'll be a book published and there'll be other exhibition opportunities. Meg, thanks so much for joining us and chatting with us about the Chinese art world. It's always great to hear your perspective. We really appreciate it. Thank you, and come to visit. Come to visit. I hope more galleries open in Beijing, not only in Hong Kong. And I think it will happen. Beijing and Shanghai will also see a lot of international galleries looking to open in the next year or two. We'll uh, be on the lookout, definitely. Thank you.
Thanks again to ArtBase for sponsoring this week's episode of the podcast. Did you know that ArtBase is the best love software in the art world? That's because ArtBase offers products that do everything you need to run your art business. Track your art in your contacts and cross-reference them. Make invoices, generate consignments, run all kinds of reports. Even use it on your iPhone or iPad at art fairs or while you're away. Take it from the thousands of happy ArtBase clients all over the world. ArtBase is the right software for your art business. Visit ArtBase.com to find out more. This week's episode of the Art Tactic Podcast was also sponsored by the Sotheby's Institute of Art. With campuses in London, New York, Los Angeles, and online, Sotheby's Institute is the global leader in art business education. Offering master's programs, 15-week intensive courses, summer study, continuing in executive education, and online courses. I'm an alumni of Sotheby's Institute. I did the art business master's program in London. To find out more about the Sotheby's Institute, visit sotheby'sinstitute.com.